John, again, the inerrant, infallible word of God. As I remind you often, this is not the man, this is not men speaking, but this is God speaking to us. So give ear as he speaks to us. So, the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And he and led him to Annas first, for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl, who kept the door, said to Peter, You're not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves, and Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together, and I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong." But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You're not also one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures always. Let's ask his blessing on the reading and hearing of his word. We do come, Father, not because your word's unclear, but because our minds are are muddled. Our minds need illuminating so that we might see the clear word of God. We pray that you would speak to us now loudly because we're not able to hear well. Sin has plugged our ears. We ask that you would be kind to us and Show us your mercy as we see ourselves in Peter particularly, that you might bring us to repentance. In Christ's name we pray this. Amen.
You know, sometimes we miss the simple points in the midst of the larger picture. We don't say this much anymore, Carol and I, to one another, but in our first several years of marriage, the simple things would be missed and the bigger picture sometimes obscured because we missed the simple points. And I, I began to refer to her as, as dense. And she referred to me as vague. <clears throat> she said, well, it's because you're vague. And I said, well, it's because you're dense. Well, through the years, I've become more sanctified, so I don't call her dense anymore. She still calls me vague sometimes. But the point is, is that we, we don't always see the obvious. And uh, John wants us to see something very obvious here. And it's, it's strange. It really is. We're on the road to Calvary. As we introduced chapter 18 last week. And Jesus is the center of attention. And then John adjusts the camera and all of a sudden Peter's the center of attention. Did you notice that? Jesus is on the stage, but Peter's in the center of the stage. And then you've got another disciple who's over here in the shadow. And he's just called another disciple. He doesn't even have a name. We'll talk about that later. But as I've read this over and over and over uh, through the years, and again now preparing to preach it, it's just amazing that we've got Jesus. He's been taken from the garden. He's standing before Annas. He's on his way to Caiaphas. And John says a little something about Jesus. But he really focuses on Peter. And he focuses on Peter being outside. And with the soldiers and with the slave girl. Not with Jesus. And I think it'd be really easy for us. Some of you may be sitting here now saying, well, I don't know why you think that's strange. I've been noticing that for years. Well, good. I'm glad you noticed it. I hope you paid attention. Because Peter is the one on the center stage. Peter's the one getting zoomed in on. And Peter looks like us. And we quickly want to get the camera off of us and our sin and get back over on Jesus. Let's just talk about Jesus. Well, we need to talk about Jesus, but we can't properly talk about Jesus until we see our sinful selves. That's the reason we preach the law before we preach the gospel. 
you don't start with a, God has a wonderful life in store for you. You got to tell them first the bad news. You're lost, condemned to hell because of sin. That's why you need a savior. You don't need a savior just to feel good. Or as many of the church signs say, you want joy? Come inside. Well, you don't, you know, you can get joy in a lot of different ways. The world has lots of things to offer that that give joy. Now I know what the church sign means. They're talking about the real joy, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, etc. That's not why we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus because we're sinners needing to be saved. And we may not live lives that are full of joy. In this world, you will have trials and troubles, Jesus said. There really is no promise of everything being rosy. We like that idea, but it's not reality. So looking at Peter is important because John focuses on Peter. So let's do that. But first, he starts with a brief note about Jesus. Jesus comes before Annas first. You may say, I wonder why. He then goes on to Caiaphas, who's the high priest. Remember, we talked about this two weeks ago. He was arrested by the temple police. He's going before the high priest. But they stop first with Annas. Well, just quickly, Annas had served as the high priest from A.D. 6 to 15. Five of his sons or son-in-laws, Caiaphas is the fifth in succession, have served as high priest. This is the high priest family, if, if, if you just think of it that way. They've, they've got this succession thing going. They're just keeping it in the family. And so they bring it to Annas. Uh, D.A. Carson says, and I think this makes sense, he says it's obvious because they brought him to Annas that many still considered Annas to be the real high priest. He was the patriarch of the high priest. He was still living, so they brought him there first. You find that, don't you? In a lot of things, a lot of situations. Well, he's not the president anymore. He's the chairman of the board. But because he used to be the president and because he's still the chairman of the board, you know, I think I'll just go talk to him. Well, he's going to send you to the president. But you go talk to him first. So we see that in our culture even today. And that's what's going on here. Now, Caiaphas, we're reminded in verse 14 of something we learned back in chapter 11 of John. Caiaphas is the one who had advised the Jews saying, you know, annually, it's best, as John says, for one man to die on behalf of the people. John told us back in chapter 11 that Caiaphas said this to make Jesus dying sensical to the people and to fulfill the prophecies that this one would die. 
In other words, God used this man, Caiaphas, to bring about the Old Testament prophecies. So John reminds us again that everything that's happening here is according to what God has said is going to happen. And God uses, as we like to say in, in, in the Reformed faith, God uses secondary means or second causes. Caiaphas is a second cause here, but God ordained it. He decreed it. He's using Caiaphas to bring it about. John wants us to remember that. It's another one of John's reasons to believe. This is the kind of God you can believe in, a God who is, who is seeing that everything he has said in the past is going to happen in the present. Reason to believe. No other God, no other religion offers a God like that, that's so thoroughly sovereign. But then he quickly, John, moves to Peter. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple, that another disciple, was known to the high priest. But, verse 16 says, but Peter was standing at the door outside. So Peter, we move to Peter, and he's on trial. In your, in your insert, you see there, Roman numeral 2, Peter is on trial. You say, well, not technically. Well, no, not technically, not in a judicial sense, but pragmatically, practically, he is on trial. Because immediately they start, they start asking the questions. They start probing. And he's certainly on trial before God. If not formally on trial before the Romans or the Jewish leaders, he's on trial before God. He's standing before God. We're always in the dock, as C.S. Lewis said. We like to put God in the dock, but we're the ones who are really in the dock. We're the ones standing before God. At every turn. And Peter is right now. Notice that at least it is commendable that Peter was following Jesus. John wants that clear. Simon Peter was following Jesus. Remember what Jesus had said in the garden? And he'd also said earlier that his disciples were going to be scattered. He asked in the, in the garden in verses 1 through 11, you're here to take me. Take me and let the others go. Well, at that point, nine of the others apparently scattered because they didn't come with Jesus. They're no longer following Jesus at that point. But two do. Simon Peter and this another disciple. So we have to, at least, while we're about to say some critical things about Peter, and we're about to see ourselves very clearly reflected in Peter, he at least was following Jesus at this point. But he comes up short, did you notice? And John points it out. Simon was following Jesus, 
Now that disciple, that other disciple, was known to the high priest. He entered with Jesus. And then we got the contrast in verse 16. But Peter stayed outside. Why didn't Peter go on in? Could have. Should have. John has to go back and get him in a few moments. But something about this... Already Peter is is beginning to stumble. Peter was standing at the door outside. Now, this is a mock trial taking place. The mock trial of Jesus, of course. We know it's a mock trial, as many scholars through the centuries have reminded us that Night proceedings by the high priest were viewed as illegal. They were not to be dealt with at night. They were supposed to be in public, in full view. And we know it's night because of what's just preceded. The torches they came with to get Jesus in the garden. And now they're standing around a charcoal fire. John's the only one that tells us the details of this charcoal fire. They're warming themselves. It's cold. It wouldn't have been cold in the daytime in this time of the year, but at nighttime it was. It would get very chilly. So it's the nighttime. It's darkness. Remember what we've talked about about darkness. In the Bible, darkness reminds us of of wickedness in the world. This is the world operating now. The Son of God, the light of the world, and he's being dealt with by the wicked world in the darkness. And Peter, a slave who has no little to no standing in the Roman world at the time, should have been the last person that would cause Peter a legitimate, freestanding man in culture to tremble. But it's even worse than that. Did you notice? John tells us it was a slave girl. So not only no standing, but she's a girl also. And Peter is trembling. She asked a question. Are you not one of the man's disciples? And he said, I'm not. Listen. If, if you and I capitulate on our faith in order to remain in a given place, What kind of faith is that? And that's exactly what Peter does. In order for him to stay there, and by the way, notice that at this point, Peter has been brought from the outside inside the door, verse 16 tells us, by John. He's the other disciple. I'll make that point in a moment. 
but he goes back and brings him in. So he's in. Now, is he going to get to stay in? And if he's going to get to stay in, how is he going to be treated? Because Jesus is on trial, and so he lies. And he says, I'm not one of this man's disciples. If we deny Christ, if we deny Christ to get into our social circles, into our political circles, into our academic circles, to stay in any circle, what does that say about our faith? I'm going to say something else here. If you will deny Christ to get in, you'll deny Christ inside too. And that's exactly what Peter did. And the longer this evening went on, the more he denied Christ. The Greek scholars will tell you that with each of his comments, there's a vehemence. There's a heightened vehemence. It's almost like he goes from the little girl, I'm not. It's almost laughable, isn't it? It'd be like Malia saying, Pastor Wilborn, are you, are, aren't you Ian's daddy? No, no. And then he gets louder. No, I'm not. And later, no. Notice John just says he denied him. That third time before the rooster crows, which Jesus told him would happen back in chapter 13 at the end of the chapter. Again, the fulfillment of Jesus' words. Another reason to believe John's putting in here for us. So don't miss that. You say, well, but, but then we have to remember. I mean, Peter's, Peter is the one who back in chapter 6, when all these masses of disciples left Jesus because of the hard sayings, and they departed not to ever follow him again, we're told. And then Jesus turns to the 12. This for, before Judas departs. He turns to the 12 and he says, will you also go away? And remember who it was that spoke up? It was Peter. Peter's the one who said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've believed and have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. That's good, Peter. And Jesus turns right around at that point with a warning to Peter and all the others. Didn't I choose you and one of you is the devil? Now, flip forward to right now, chapter 18. You wonder if Peter, maybe at some point in this whole interrogation, asking him if he began to hear Jesus' words, and one of you is the devil. Because he never commended Peter for his confession, his profession. He warned him, along with the others. Hey, you can say good doctrine and be in trouble. And that's a great danger 
in a church that puts great emphasis on doctrine and saying the right things the right way. And we can become so careful in the way we say things and it's not in here. Or it's in here, but it's not connecting to all the rest of our body, to all the rest of our being. Peter's the same one that told Jesus just back in chapter 13, verse 37, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Really, Peter? That little girl scared you to death. This is Peter, who we saw in the garden rise up and start flailing away with his sword and whack off an ear. And now he's scared of a little slave girl. He's intimidated by the world around him. How easy it is. This is a tough passage, isn't it? When you slow down and you focus on what John's focused on, John wants us to see Peter in all of his glory. Because Peter, Peter's like us. Actually, Peter's better than us. Peter walked on water. Anybody else in the room? I didn't think so. In the cord of peer pressure, Peter failed. He talked a good game around the Lord's Supper. He was uh, brave in the secret garden with the church family all around him. And then he comes into less friendly parts of the world and he denies the Lord, commits treason against Christ. And he would not testify on the, on the behalf of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question because it's gotten awfully quiet in here. Are you better prepared to face the world and to stand boldly for Christ than Peter was? That's a convicting question, isn't it? Remember, Peter had been with the Lord daily. But then so can we. Right? We can be with the Lord daily as well. In his word, in prayer. Enjoying the fellowship, the communion of the saints. Let me just say this. We need to prepare our hearts well. And we need to prepare our hearts in advance. Because if we do not prepare beforehand, we, we won't stand any better than Peter did.
Now let's look at this other disciple. Because not much, there's not much said about him. We don't even know for sure who it was. I said John earlier. That's the bulk of scholarship through the, through the centuries has concluded it's him. Because John refers to another one throughout the book of John as the beloved disciple. John doesn't want to draw attention to himself. You say, well, how do we, what do we know about John here? Well, we know that John went right in with him. He didn't stop at the door. He obviously knew some of these people. We're told that he had connections. Some have said, well, it couldn't have been John. John was a fisherman from Galilee. How would have he have known people? But we, we forget that that was a different social context, a different day and age. If you go back and read about John in the gospel accounts, John's father apparently was a quite wealthy fisherman. He probably owned a fleet of boats. He had many hirelings, we're told. These people would have, would have circulated in, in the various circles because of their standing in Galilee. We know that John alone tells us the names of some people like Nicodemus, who is the teacher of Israel. He told us the names, unlike any of the other gospel writers, of Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man. We also know from chapter 13, chapter 20, and chapter 21 that Peter and John are nearly inseparable. The picture you get in the gospel accounts is that wherever Peter was, John was. And wherever John was, Peter was. And so here they are. You say, well, that's about all we've got, right? Yeah. But we also know that John finished, at least in this immediate context, in these next few hours, finished better than Peter. Because Peter denies the Lord three times, then the rooster crowed, and that's it. Then after the resurrection, Jesus encounters Peter, calls him to himself, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my lambs, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. But there's a gap there. Like there was a gap with David when his bones were aching and he was denying his sin. And then the restoration came with Peter as with David. But John, if you flip the page over to chapter 19... Jesus is hanging on the cross and Mary, the mother of Jesus and the other Marys were there and other women were there and Jesus looks down from the cross and he says, woman, behold your son. And to the other disciple, Jesus said, behold your mother. And from that day, Mary became part of John's household. 
That's how John finished. He passed the trial first time. Peter, on the other hand, is more like most of us. We stumble. We can be real brave around the church property. We can be real brave in those kind of contexts with like-minded folks, but we get out in the dark world and we go quiet about Jesus. We don't even invite people to church with us. We stand around the fire with the world, warming ourselves. Did you notice John commenting on that more than once? He was warming himself. Jesus was in the cold, dark, and Peter was warming himself with the slaves and with the Romans and with the temple police. And we find ourselves more comfortable with the world than we do with Christ and his people sometimes. Here's, I think, the difference. John, throughout the book, has been giving us one after the other after the other of reasons to believe. And then we go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, a verse many of you have memorized, no doubt, from way back in Bible schools or Sunday school. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. In this world, you'll have tribulations. But take courage. I've overcome the world. All that had taken root in John's heart. So the question is, has it taken root in our hearts? No, I don't have to be afraid. I don't, certainly not of a little girl, but not of anyone. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And who is it that's in me? The spirit of the living Christ. That's who Jesus promised. I'll not leave you as orphans. I will be with you. I'm going to send you another one of the same stuff, the same essence, the spirit. And he will be with you and in you. Just like Jesus could have called down the 12 legions. We have the Holy Spirit. I'm reminded often those words of John Davis, the faithful PCUS missionary in Brazil, living in the Amazon forest. He was eventually killed by squatters on his property that the country had given him to develop and to use for the ministry of the church there. And people would ask him when he'd come back to the States, aren't you afraid? Living out there in the middle of nowhere? And John Davis, his refrain was always the same. Afraid of what? If God is for me, who can be against me? He eventually died out there. Was bushwhacked in the, in the forest. He and a son died. Another son was maimed. And that son went on to live and rear children. And the, many of those children are living in the Amazon, working among the, the people there. Because greater was he that is in them than he that is in the world.
That's where we want to be. We want to be like John. John never lost sight of Christ. He went through the door with Christ. He stayed with Christ. That was Peter's big problem. He stayed outside, and then when he came inside, he stayed right there at the fire, and he lost his eyes, lost sight of Jesus. That's where we have to live, folks, with our eyes fixed on Christ and who he is and what he's done and what he's doing, and that even now he's praying for us, interceding for us. So that we might be saved to the uttermost. That's our Savior. And by the way, isn't this the gospel? That when Peter failed, Christ prevailed. And when we sin, Christ will excel in all things. I mean, this is the reason John gives us this, is to remind us this is who we are. We're sinners, and we need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. And so when we fail, he'll, he, he forgives. That's why he came, to save sinners, to bring forgiveness for people as wretched as Peter and us. Thank you, Father, for reminding us of who we are in Peter, but also reminding us of who our Savior is and how, like John, we need to keep our eyes on him all the time. We ask this, you would do this for us in Jesus' name, amen.